Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam, and as always, I am joined by my good buddy, Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. And this week, we're going to bring you another four chapters of Vigilantes, but before we do, just a couple of quick reminders. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes, it really helps get the show out, and we really appreciate seeing that feedback. Uh, it really inspires us to keep doing the show. And uh, other than that, you got any other housekeeping, Atkins? Anything we need to mention? Uh, not really. There's been some, you know, some news in the My Hero Academia world lately. Uh, if you missed this kind of tidbit teaser announcement thing last week, I think we were talking about it at the end of uh, our last episode, episode 60 of the AMP. Uh, My Hero Academia Heroes Rising is now available in the U.S. And so uh, Adam and I had just decided right before we started recording that that's going to be the content for AMP 62, our next episode. Uh, we are going to do a recap and review of that movie. So we would encourage you, because if you're listening to us at all, you know that we're spoiler heavy. Uh, so get a hold of that copy and watch it, not just for the sake of listening to our 60-second episode, but also because we're going to try to organize a uh, like a watch party for that movie in the coming weeks uh, and invite you guys to interact with us through Discord. So that is something that we're working towards organizing as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to have to figure out how it's going to work, but uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun to just get to hang out with some folks and you know, watch a fun movie. I'm really stoked to see it. I, I know you've already watched it, but uh, it'll be a first for me whenever we uh, actually do the, re- the you know, sit down for the recording. Yeah, I'll be curious to talk about it. Um, I haven't talked about it with Adam at all because I know he hasn't seen it. And I do have some lingering thoughts upon my first viewing that I'm curious to see if they are altered or affected on um, subsequent viewings. So that'll be what AMP 62 is all about. There was also some news that another spinoff series is in the works for My Hero what? Academia. Yeah, it's called really? My Hero Academia Team Up Missions. And I, at first glance, I thought they were more like novellas, but I think it's going to be uh, compiled like in a manga volume. Um, so they huh, just okay. released cover art for that on Twitter like two or three days ago as of this recording. And best I can tell, it looks like manga chapters. It is written and illustrated. Uh, so that's that's going to be interesting. It seems to be that it's going to focus, it's going to take place after Heroes Rising and is going to focus on students teaming up with pro heroes. Um, so that's pretty cool concept as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm down for, for more of that. So as we learn more about that, I'll share more about it. But a uh, fun little uh, announcement and uh, teaser of the, the cover of what is going to be, I, I guess, the first volume of My Hero Academia team-up missions. Man, that's awesome. I guess if you want to keep up with news on that, be sure to follow at Almighty Pod on Twitter uh, because Adkins keeps that page up to date, man. All the stuff you share every week is so cool. Yeah, I'm trying. I mean, we're boosting a couple of other uh, all uh, not Almighty Podcast podcasts, uh, but My Hero Academia <laughs> podcasts. Uh, and if I see any fancy news that isn't spoilery, then I'll retweet it. Uh, so, and you know, we do trivia Tuesdays and such like that. So yeah, definitely give us a follow on Twitter. We don't flood the timelines, uh, but we try to at least keep that Avenue open for a little bit more interaction. I know a lot of you guys, uh, are interacting with us on there, liking what we're putting out and retweeting and, and that's all great. So, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to grow as a community around this, this, uh, manga and anime that we collectively love. So, and as Adam talked about, we are continuing our coverage of Vigilantes, in volume six of this particular manga covering episodes slash chapters 39, 40, 41, and 42. So let's work on that, shall we? Absolutely, dude. I'm so excited to talk about these four. They're really good. And I I know I say that all the time, but these are really, really good. Like it's so action packed and there's just the artwork's incredible. Like everything about these, they really shocked me. I I feel like the last little bit uh, has been maybe not as just impactful as these to me. Yeah, there is definitely a lot that I really, really liked about these four chapters slash episodes. I didn't laugh as much in these oh, four really? as I, I did, did for the last one. Not quite as much, but I did. Man, I it mean, had me going in some of these. I was definitely entertained. Don't don't mishear me. But uh, I think it's a little less, little less humorous, but I think the action is turned up a couple notches uh, relative to the last four chapters, which weren't exactly action less either. So 
um, lots going on. And it felt very condensed because it just kept moving. Like there wasn't a lot of stillness in these four chapters. There wasn't a lot of definitely like hanging out in the, the rooftop hideout. It was just constant something. Um, which I really like. It's high energy. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that feeling of just forward progress and momentum. And these four chapters did a really good job of that. So episode 39 for me is called a rational man, which immediately got me excited because there's only one rational man in all of my hero that we really care about. And that's Aizawa. And (laughs) I was like, yes, we get more Aizawa just based on the episode title. I was like, yes, more Aizawa. And I get plenty of Aizawa in these four chapters. Mine's also named Irrational Man. I think that's the first time they've actually been lined up. Look at that. Well, we begin with Koichi uh, working on training, honing, refining his new technique. We referred to it as kind of like him shooting key blasts from his palms or look like... It's absolutely that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. As of like this chapter, I feel like it has really evolved into he's just a Dragon Ball Z character in the My Hero world now. Yeah, there's even a panel on like the second full page of this manga where uh, he tries blasting it. He's trying to increase its strength. And the first one that he shoots, he forgets to stick his feet to the floor. So he goes kind of wobbling backwards. But then he plants himself in that sumo position and charges this thing up. And when he is charging it up, he's looks like he's about to deliver a Kamehameha. I mean, it looks exactly like that in this panel. It's great. I'll share it to the Twitter, this, uh, this panel. It actually happens twice because he does this a little bit later on. And both of them are immediately recognizable as reminiscent of uh, Goku or Krillin or any of those characters charging up a Kamehameha, which I adored, actually. Yeah, I thought this was really cool. And if you look at the way that his stance is in some of these with the, it's almost like a key ball coming out of like a key ring kind of looking thing. It's very reminiscent of some of Piccolo's moves as well. Uh, I, I And he's up there like practicing, trying to knock down these Coke cans when Pop Step interrupts him and he freaks out, you know, falls backwards. Uh, it's very manga anime-esque, if that makes sense. And she's kind of frustrated with him because she's like, look, we said yesterday we weren't going to do this. You're going to get yourself in trouble. You're going to get arrested. Like, you need to chill, bro. Uh, and he's like, oh, well, you know, I can dial it back. I don't think I really hurt anybody. And and then he kind of just, oh, well, you're right. And anyways, let's go patrolling. Like, he's totally going to just go out and do what he wants anyways. He's stoked about this new ability. Yeah, I definitely got the sense that he was kind of blowing her off here. There was a funny exchange that, again, given some current events, hit a little awkward for me because he's like, you know, it, it, it's not like they're, these shots are really hard. And Pop Step is like, so it's okay to shoot people as long as the bullets are soft? And I was right. like, oof, a little, little relevant. Yeah, um, too relevant, yeah. <laughs> but then he, she says, if heroes are, or the cops catch you doing that, they'll arrest you for real. And I'm like, I mean, in this world, technically, he could not be doing that. He could just be sliding, gliding, and still get at minimum fined, if not, uh, you know, something worse. But well, I think it changes, this though. more offensive application definitely amps that up some. Exactly, yeah. Like, if he's just sliding and gliding, it's, I mean, the worst that's going to happen is you're going to cause some traffic accidents or trip someone up. But, like, he's actively got a projectile now. Yep, and he's going to put it to some good use, but not immediately. Because <laughs> he's out on patrol, and there's this giant rampaging villain... Uh, and he's, he's just like, well, I haven't run into such a straightforward villain in a while. Um, so he's surprised (laughs) by this. He's not quite sure how to handle it because again, he, even with his increased offensive capabilities, he's still not that kind of, of fighter. Um, he's still speed, agility, um, and now a little bit of, uh, distance, uh, with offensive capabilities, but he's like, you know, this guy's a bruiser. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do. I just need to kind of get these people out of the way. So he starts calling for everybody to just run. And then he's sliding, gliding away going, if nobody shows up to rescue me, I'm done for. Yeah. And he he starts to think to himself like, all right, well, I'll just keep my distance. And this weird creature that is attacking this villain is this big, like six armed creature with like perched lips. It's creepy. Like it looks like it's oily black, you know? And uh, so he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to keep my distance. And then it picks up a bunch of rocks and starts throwing it. And he just goes, who goes around throwing rocks at people? I thought that that was a pretty good callback, too, to what Pop had literally exactly. just talked to him about. Yep, yep, it's great. Uh, and then we cut over to the uh, the shop hoppers, where my, personally my new f- two favorite people are. Like You had mentioned, I think, in the last episode, maybe, that you were hoping that they were going to stick around. Like They just bring so much comedic relief. And boy, do they ever. I mean, like... This little family of grasshoppers really just is is pulling the punches in these four, in my opinion. And 
they're trying to sell this guy something. It says black sheep sample. And they're talking about how like it's a sample of livestock nutrients and it's supposed to grow his hair back. And the brother pulls his cap off like, yeah, see, I'm fighting this battle all by myself. And he's a. Uh, He's got like a little bit of bald patch and the man they're selling this to just says, oh yeah, there's a bit of wispy hair. Yes. And Aizawa walks through the door the moment he does, the man like freaks out and they freak out and he just bags it up and walks out. Like maybe they're selling some illegal hair growth formula or something. Well, I thought maybe that this was the, their, their trigger with their extra stuff added in their dirty trigger or no, the dirty trigger was the bad stuff. But remember earlier on where they were talking about one of them was like, yeah, I put hair growth product and the other one was stuff for ED. Yeah. Yeah. But I just assumed that this wasn't triggered, that this was just actually like some sort of natural supplement or something. Well, yeah. And I was trying to figure out if what they were doing was like trying to on the down low, sell this guy trigger that also does hair growth. I don't know. It was very confusing. It was. I guess I could see that. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they already canonically talked about trigger laced with this stuff. Also funny, I looked up uh, their entries on Wikipedia. And as far as the wikis are concerned, they actually do have, and we see that kind of confirmed here, the one of them actually canonically struggles with uh, hair growth or slash hair loss. And the other one supposedly canonically has ED. <laughs> like the, the wikis are just like... <laughs> Yeah, they th- that was no bluff. Like, that's really where their lives are right now. That seems like such a strange thing to write into these poor characters' lives. <laughs> it's, but it's very, like, real. It humanizes them in a weird way to me. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Uh, it's just a funny little detail. And the, the, the guy scurrying out, I thought, was also maybe him being like, I have this trigger and I know that this is a pro hero and I just need to make tracks. Um, but we could, I could be reading into that. I just assumed he was uh, embarrassed of his baldness, but that, that makes a little be. bit more sense on why he would be scarying out. Or maybe it's illegal hair growth hormones or something. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It could be <laughs> like, yeah, like super, it's, it's, you need a prescription or it hasn't been tested on human beings kind of stuff. Exactly. They do refer to it as livestock something or another too, don't they? Livestock nutrients. So maybe it just hasn't had human testing and that's what the, that's what he's really flaking out of, over. Yeah, and it says because it's li- he he says livestock, and they reply with for increased wool production. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these guys are great. They are. They're so much fun. Azawa walks in and he just sits down and says, "Black no sugar." <laughs> like that's the first words out of his mouth. Right. <laughs> like they, like they're just they're his own personal barista. Yeah, and he's the one of the Hoda brothers is like, "We aren't baristas." And then Azawa continues to tell them that like. I'm kind of on the job and it's become a part of my routine to stop in here. You guys make a good cup of coffee. And these guys are just like, but wait a minute. We we thought that this was on like you were just going to drop by if you had a good reason. And as I was just like, well, you know, it's kind of part of how I do things now. (laughs) So they've they've uh, they've got a Klingon in in uh, in Aizawa right now. And they get the idea too, like, well, we should start charging them. (laughs) Yeah, they've been hooking him up with free coffee. Of course, he's going to show up. Exactly. Yeah. Aizawa does kind of seem like a mooch to me. I don't know why, but I feel like he would totally be the guy that would show up for the free coffee, you know? Well, it's only rational for him to go to the place that gives him free coffee versus going to a place where he has to pay for coffee. That's completely true. Well, while he's sitting there sipping on some Joe, all of a sudden, this co- the place just gets crashed into, like rocks are being thrown inside, and Koichi's sliding by, and he's like, uh, hey, you guys okay in there? There's a big old villain coming by, and as he starts to talk, he recognizes Aizawa, and then he, they both kind of recognize each other, and he thinks to himself, like, oh, man, that's the hero who tangled with Master, talking about uh, way back uh, yeah, whenever wow. Aizawa and uh, Knuckle Duster fought. So uh, that, that was kind of a fun callback there, and, and uh, <laughs> Aizawa, of course, is looking for him because he's a suspect from the last big crab fest, the, uh, the crab heist. He's trying to kind of keep his identity concealed. He pulls his hoodie back and he's like, what? Who? I'm not. I'm just an upright citizen of this fine town. (laughs) Yeah, I really like this awkward dynamic that is established here between Koichi and Aizawa. And uh, yeah, Koichi, just to put himself out of his costume, all he does is take the uh, Aizawa hoodie or the Aizawa hoodie, the All Might hoodie down. Uh, (laughs) It's not very effective. And they keep using this term person of interest. Um, and they, uh, this is what Aizawa refers to Koichi as uh, in this, in this, not in this chapter, but in the fallout of this particular thing. But they have more pressing things to worry about. Uh, the Hoda brothers, on the other hand, they are, they're like, isn't that the Cruller? Uh, they, they recognize him as well. And uh, they, they don't have a lot of time to 
work on passing around business cards and shaking hands because this strange six-armed thing is still advancing towards civilians and uh, the pro hero springs into action. So Aizawa is just like, you know, we need to talk later, but for now I just need you to get to safety. And he runs over and wraps up one of the man's six arms with some of his uh, binding straps uh, and tries to use his quirk on him, um, his erasure quirk. However, this thing is bioengineered, which means that his quirk is wholly ineffective. It does absolutely nothing. And uh, he was kind of banking that it would, in fact, do something. So now he's in quite the predicament. So I have a question for you here, because I think we had talked about this maybe four or five episodes ago, whenever we first saw the these like, they're almost Nomu-esque, you know, but when he says they're bioengineered, that's what I think of as Me a too. Nomu. However, we've been exposed to the trigger villains in the past, so I'm just wondering if we're seeing both, you know, especially after these four chapters, which we'll probably get into that here in just a bit, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Is this guy a Nomu, or do you think he's just triggered up? It's hard to tell. Uh, I think on my first reading of this stuff, I think I had said that this is that these guys are like the precursors to the Nomu because they're being gr- they're being granted additional abilities on top of whatever existing quirk sure. that they had. And that screams Nomu. And in the fight in the USJ, I like Aizawa's quirk didn't work against that Nomu either. Um, and so right. those things line up parallel enough that I'm like that feels like this is Nomu material, or at least Nomu in alpha stage or beta stage. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm not confident because, like you said, the trigger stuff that we see in My Hero Academia comes post-Nomu uh, and seems to be entirely separate. Um, so I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. And I hope that that gets cleared up somewhere. I have a theory. We'll talk about it uh, at the end of chapter, uh, I guess it was 41. So I'll, we'll, I'll bring it up then. Uh, but okay. whenever whenever I saw was fighting this guy, he does notice that it has uh, all those octopus arms is what he calls it, I guess, because this thing's got six arms and he's got it pretty tangled up. I mean, he's able to get all of them completely wrapped around. And he's even got two of them like wrapped around this thing's neck from behind. So it's kind of choking itself out. But then he springs two more un extra hidden arms and then Aizawa does this great thing where he's like 10 arms total, not an octopus, a squid. You know, of yeah. course, like the rational guy just making it work in his brain, you know. It's funny, too, because in the scene when he first wraps him up, he says, if I couldn't handle this, I wouldn't be much of a hero, which also made me think back to the USJ when Midoriya was given Aizawa lip for going out and trying to challenge all oh, of those yeah. little scrub characters. And he's like, listen, you can't just be a one trick pony and be a pro hero. This isn't the only thing that I've got up my sleeves. So that felt very reminiscent of that scene as well. Um, but yeah, these two arms come... I, I guess he was hugging himself with this lower pair, uh, and he whacks the crap out of Aizawa. Like, Aizawa is having that uh, that epiphany about um, the squidness of this creature after he has been absolutely slammed against a wall and is, for all purposes, incapacitated, or at least he feels like he is, because this thing begins charging again, and he's like, well, the students that he attacked, they're safe. And if this is the end of the line for me, then that's fine. And this thing is advancing with several arms cocked back to deliver this final blow. And and he's deliberating. He's like, surviving this would be great, but I can't really move. And then the last thing that we see in episode 39 is Koichi diving across the panel, um, shooting off one of his new key blasts that, uh, that we will see the name of a little later. He hasn't already named it, right? We definitely see the name later. I can't remember if he called it something. Already, he starts to say it in the beginning of this, but Pop cuts him off. Okay, so yeah, we see it in the next chapter. I will say they could have opened this chapter with that end scene of Aizawa up against the wall, and it could have been one of those lead ins. Like, I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, Aizawa is shocked by Koichi's interposing himself um, in the in this line of danger. But um, as Koichi fires this thing off, we get led into episode forty, which is called a rational team up. And features Aizawa leaning casually in an alleyway as a cat walks beneath his legs. Is yours also called a He's rational a cat team guy. up? Yeah. It is. Yeah, look at that. Two for two. Uh, and we begin this episode with Eraserhead saying, you know, he, he's being spoken of, a neighborhood hero who specializes in crime fighting. He doesn't go in for TV appearances or gimmicky performances. Maybe that's why he, 
he doesn't seem as lovable as most heroes. He's even kind of scary. And it's Koichi talking. He's like, and it's why I've done my best to steer clear of him whenever I spot him around town. Um, but now he's he's coming to the rescue of Aizawa. And uh, the, the shot that he fires off doesn't do a ton, um, but it creates an opening for them to move uh, and places them into a place of proact- uh, proactivity instead of reactivity. Um, so he kind of hits him under the chin, it looks, and snaps his head back. Uh, he goes skittering off to the side, but that buys Aizawa time to get up and for them to start devising a new plan. Yeah, and it's really funny because uh, Koichi's freaking out. He's like, did I shoot something out of my hand? Did that happen? Well, what perfect timing. Yeah. <laughs> how, how mysterious. Yeah, he's acting like this uh, is the first time it's ever happened. And, and then he realizes that the monster is back up and he goes, well, I thought it even phased him. And the two brothers come out of their shop and they're like, dude, and they, they turn into these like grasshopper warriors. It's so cool. Yep. And it's really funny because they they do their like, it's double Hata time. They're very Beetleborg Power Ranger-esque to me. Like they do the whole flips. They're acrobatic. They they transform into these outfits, you know. They both say, Eraser, this is totally legit self-defense, right? And we used a legal version of Trigger. Oh, uh. Same here, self-defense, Koichi says, as he's like hearing all this come yeah. down. And Aizawa just knows he needs help. He's bandaging up his arm and he's he just says details come later. So he he realizes like, man, I got I gotta have a little bit of backup here. And and he's rational, so he's gonna take it. I really like too that he uses his bandages as bandages in this scene. Like he uses those It was pretty neat. Yeah, those stiffening binding bandages to create a makeshift cast for uh his left arm, which had been damaged in this uh this fight already. Um, but yeah, then he starts trying to think very much like like Goku does, like in Dragon Ball Z. Did that strike you as the same where he's just like, we we are going to have this fight. But let's do it where we can't like hurt people or break things. Yeah, he's like, oh, all right, we're totally fine with killing each other. But let's go do it out in the middle of uh, the desert where no one will find us. And we can't hurt anybody. I did like it, too, where Koichi approaches him. And he's like, do you need me to just like run and go find some help? And initially, as I was like, hang on, crawler. And Koichi corrects him. He says, it's the crawler. And Aizawa initially in this panel is just like, whatever, um, as if he's dismissing it. But for the rest of all of what we're going to read today, he consistently refers to him as the crawler. So he heard that yeah. he recognizes that as his hero hero name, if you want to call it that. Uh, and I, I really liked that particular touch, too. It was a really nice sign of respect. Yeah. And he's doing the same thing that we've seen like him do. And also Midoriya does a lot where he's trying to assess what they have at their disposal. So he starts asking all these questions of Koichi. Can you do this attack again? What's your reins? How strong can you do this thing? Uh, and he eventually is just like, all right, just take your little pop shots to distract this thing. And we'll basically use you as a lure or bait as you pester him. And as he pursues you to get him wherever it is that that they can go where, uh, you know, an empty lot or building without civilians and the Hoda brothers who are locals, they're like, yeah, we know a place, but it's not really a great idea to go there, but they don't have a choice. And we get these awesome scenes right after this of them leading this villain down, you know, the, the kind of just the alleyway there, I guess. I guess it's really been like a main road. And it's awesome because Koichi is like sliding backwards and running backwards and just key blasting this guy. And he's even shocking himself. He's like, oh, shooting while running backwards isn't as tough as I thought. And uh, the Hoda brothers are like, slick move, kid. So they are distracting this guy, and they're pulling him away. And then we transition to this awesome scene of the oldest uh, brother, and he's still stuck in this, like, I, it kind of looks like a praying mantis, or like Scyther, the Pokemon. Yep. Uh, and he's sitting on a couch, listening to his tunes, drinking some tea. And his brother opens the door and he's like, whoa, what's going on? It's, it's common courtesy to knock Hoda, the younger. Uh, you're invading my privacy. And the brother's just like, hey, sorry about this. It's really short notice, uh, but we got to use your space. You're probably going to want to step outside. And he's like, dude, you, you can't evict me. Like, this is my place. This is my quarters. And, and I'm this is my time. Like, I'm sipping on tea. And <laughs> then the, the crawler comes in and he's like, so I'm supposed to lure this thing in here? And and he's the brother's starting to get a little upset. He's like, well, oh, if it's not the crawler. and uh, poor Koichi is just like, well, uh, um, there's no almost about it. I definitely think you're a villain as you know, he's trying to defend himself and say like, you should judge people on, on just the way they look. And I can't blame Koichi too much. You stumble into a random lot and a giant praying mantis is there. You're probably going to be a little freaked out. 
Definitely. Aizawa enters, and around this time, the, the oldest brother is like, whatever, this is not my business. It's my afternoon tea time, so if you're going to make a racket, do it outside. And then all these rocks get flung in as a fist is like coming into the sideway, and his tea gets flung out of his weird praying mantis hands, which I'm not even sure how he's able to hold on to the tea because it shows his like the next panel is like him with the little tea hinge on top of his praying mantis hand but it's just crazy how he's balancing it i feel like it would fall off with the way it's shaped i actually appreciated the this glimpse into how he's figuring out how to live because you remember one of the funniest things from the few chapters before this was him basically complaining about how He's got to figure out how to live all over again. And so he's finally got to the point where he can delicately turn his iPad on or his iPod on and he can pour himself a tiny cup of tea and balance it ever so carefully on the tip of one of his blade hands. And he's even like going to take a sip from it when he's just like, whatever, this doesn't seem like my business. But then when this octopus slash squid guy comes breaking into the hangar, he just says, damn it, ruining my tea time. And then he just goes off on this guy like he's so mad at the octopus guy. He's like, I'm not going to take this, you damn villain. And then they have this conversation, uh, the Hoda brothers and Koichi about his uh, hypocrisy because he was just scolding uh, Koichi for treating him like a villain based on appearances. And now he's doing the exact same thing. And the Hoda brothers are just like, yep, that's how he is. Kind of self-centered. <laughs> that had this panel had me cracking up. Like I was, I was laughing so hard. I thought that was so funny. And they they've put on a really great fight. Like the other brothers, Koichi and Aizawa, are all watching these two monstrous beings fight. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because there's a there's a panel where the Hoda brothers are all excited and they're like, the monster's got the, all these arms. So if you if you ain't a, uh, it ain't a crime if you chop off two or three of them. <laughs> yeah. and I was just like. That's not how that's going to work at all, actually. Um, But they're trying to give him permission to just let loose. Um, But both of these guys would have come, presumably, they would have been victims of the same processes, like because Kamayan didn't used to be what he is. Right. Um, He's gotten transformed through this dirty trigger, and that could be also what's going on with this octopus guy. We know that something definitely is going on because the Scarface uh, Zumi guy is... uh, we find out in just a minute is kind of tracking this and even has like a code name for this guy and goes to collect a sample. So same, they, they are products of a similar process, if not an, uh, a process that is seeing a more and more development, uh, as, as these villains make their appearances, um, because Kamayan feels kind of outmatched. I mean, his blades aren't doing anything to him. He's getting um, he's getting overmatched on the strength side as well. So the brothers and Aizawa and Koichi have to come up with an alternative way of trying to slow this thing down uh, because monster versus monster isn't working out like they hoped it might. So Aizawa tries initially to just blind him. Uh, he takes his, uh, his bandages, wraps him over his eyes, uh, and then asks Kamayan to basically put him in like a full Nelson but Kamayan gets slammed in the face. I couldn't tell if it was an elbow or just, you know, a, a backwards headbutt. Loses his grip. Monster takes the blinders off. And what he opens his little beady eyes to see is Koichi in the, about ready to deliver this Kamehameha. And he just says, charging complete, point blank, point blank range. And he lets loose this this powerful projectile blast right into this guy's face oh it's so cool like this is such a cool scene i really really enjoyed this one yeah it's awesome and that it kind of that's the end of that particular chapter it brings us to the beginning of um episode 41 which is called ultimate move with an exclamation point same for you uh mine is called a rational new move well it begins with koichi kind of walking us through his own evolution Mike work is slide and glide I can, it lets me slide around. Uh, we get a little funny <laughs> to me scene of him doing a little bunny hop. Yeah. Like a little, like uh, a little Ollie. Which is made even funnier. Yeah. Yeah. And Ollie. And it, it's even made funnier to me because of the way that the All Might hair makes it look like he has bunny ears when he's doing it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's great. But now he's learned that he can plant his feet and, and shoot this energy out from his palms. And he explains that what he thinks happened is that it condenses the energy around him into a force. And he calls it. The Crawlers SGB for Shooty Go Blam. I like it. Shooty Go Blam. Okay. I was going to ask how you feel about that. It sounds like something one of the Saiyans would have named their moves. Like, you know how uh, Raditz has like the uh, ice cream sundae or the Sunday blast or something like 
They've got all those really ridiculously named moves. Okay, if we're if we're gonna pin this naming convention on characters from Dragon Ball Z, doing the like this is a Go Tanks name. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah, or possibly Ginyu Force members because they had some pretty goofy names for some of their stuff too. Yeah, they did. But I mean, the way that they described this at the top of the uh, chapter is exactly what it sounds like Key would be to me. You know, like this just energy force that you're able to manipulate. It, and he's flying. And I mean, it's very much so like the Key abilities in Dragon Ball. Yeah, except I think Key is something internalized in Dragon Ball. And this, the way he's talking about it, it's external. It's like an external force um, around him that he can control. Yeah. 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 But it definitely visually presents itself very similarly. It's almost like a mix of like a Dragon Ball Key Blast and Iron Man's little uh, like palm Repulsors. repulsor beams. Yeah, that's a, that's a really cool explanation. I like that. Well, he hits it. He hits this guy like square in the chest uh, hard enough to like where he's like spitting up the villain. It's not blood. It's definitely just like. Uh, spittle, uh, but it hits him hard enough possibly to knock the air out of him, but then it just that's it. Uh, so he just manages to really piss this thing off. Yeah. <laughs> and this is when Aizawa is like, you know, nah, you made the perfect bait because Koichi's obviously freaking out. Uh, but the Aizawa and the two Hada brothers are able to get together and put this guy into this really awesome like ball trap. I mean, it's a mixture of like Aizawa's scarf and some sort of roping. At first, I thought it was like webbing from uh, the Hada brothers, but it's definitely not webs. It looks like it's some sort of like pulley system. So they've got him all wrapped up. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and they raise him up uh, in in a doorway, and they start talking about, all right, where do we go from here? I mean, we've got this thing immobilized, but this you know this isn't gonna. Pro- it might not hold him forever. They're not one hundred percent sure. So they're like, all right, well, somebody needs to call the authorities, and they put that on Kamayan. Uh, but Kamayan doesn't have his phone on him right this second. Not only um, that, but why would you put it on the one guy that doesn't have opposable thumbs? Come on. Like, <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> well, and I thought it was strange that they'd asked him, too, because I assume they have him on the one end of the, the rope pulling him up into the air because he's the only one physically strong enough to do so. And now they're dismissing him from that particular role. I thought that was kind of strange. That is kind of strange. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't considered that. But anyway, Kamayan goes to get his phone, and it lo- this panel is strange uh, to me because it looks like he kind of bumps the octopus slash squid guy, and then somehow or another that like triggers this thing to reach through the nets. Like it, it doesn't make sense. the The progression is nonsensical. Like if he could, I don't understand why they emphasize the bump. Is what I'm saying. If the yeah, guy was going to reach through either. the net, just reach through the net. It's not a big deal. But they have a panel where they show Kamayan like accident accidentally bumping into him as if that tr- that enabled this thing to uh begin to release itself. Yeah, but I'm right there with you. I don't really know why that was emphasized. It didn't seem necessary, especially if this villain could reach out and get him at any point in time. But regardless, whenever he attacks Kamayan, he ends up kind of like rocking this contraption that they've made back and forth and it crashes. The villain gets out and immediately starts running off. Uh, and it's so funny because Kamion just turns around and looks at everybody and goes, not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good And they panel. scream at him. They're like, shut up, go after him. So they're, they're wanting him to get in on the action still, you know, and it, we get this scene that has led me to some fun theories okay. of our, our scar-faced guy. Uh, he's hanging out in an alley and he says, oh, like octopus and squid combined. I get it. And he, he says the specimen's code name is Octoid. And he's looking at him on like a little Pokedex, basically. Like it's yep. his phone, but it, it kind of looks like a little Pokedex entry. Uh, and this is where he, he's breaking down how this creature has been bioengineered. He says, started with a cephalopod quirk and then given augmented speed and strength, modified into a real bruiser. So I'm starting to think that like we know this guy has been involved with Queen Bee, who was studying the trigger stuff because she was actually, you know, putting like it in a vial of bee thing and then having it sting somebody and then recording the data i feel like what he's doing is recording the data on someone else's creature trying to figure out what it's made of like what its weaknesses are i don't think that this is a creature that's been triggered but i think he or whoever he's working for is aware that someone else is trying to bioengineer something similar so i'm curious to me it seems like maybe he's trying to gather intel uh because he says like nice to meet you buddy and then immediately does his eight punch you know attack and thinks that he's beaten him, but but hasn't. I mean, this guy, this creature still lives. 
But while he's down, he's taking samples from him, which seems weird. Um, we we never saw him deliver the trigger like we did with Queen Bee, which I don't know. It just makes me feel like this is a separate monster entirely. See, I was under the impression, especially because he collects this liquid, that he's in cahoots with whoever Queen Bee was talking to um, about, okay. you know, that, that she was in the business not only of delivering this trigger um, and, you know, forcefully injecting it upon the unsuspecting masses, but also retrieving samples because uh, we saw her do that as well. And he seems to be doing that. And so I thought they were kind of like co-workers. He might be maybe a, a rung up higher on this ladder. And he, hell, he could be the top of it. I I'm, I'm, don't think so, but he certainly seems to be kind of running in the same... He, he has the same MO as Queen Bee does as far as okay, like that's fair. collection. And he, he's always, he's very frequently been in the same places where she has been when she was doing that kind of work. Uh, so I don't know. I think they are doing the same kind of work, probably for the same company, organization, person, villain, whatever you want to say. Yeah. And I think you're probably right on that. I think my big thing here is the way he describes this creature, you know, having it started with one quirk and then given an augmented quirk and another one on top of that one is very different than a trigger that just enhances one quirk. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that's why I said that when we were talking about Kamayan versus this guy, that as you collect data, the, uh, the hope at as you collect data in a process is to improve that process. So Kamayan could have True. been you know, you know, version 2.0 of whatever it is that they're cooking up. And then this guy could be an evolution of that same line after more data is collected and they try new things. That makes sense too. Yeah. Like version 3.5 or something. Yeah. yeah totally. Could be. It could be. Well, as our scarred man is, is walking away from this villain, uh, the villain throws like a rock at him and, and scratches his face. He starts bleeding and this guy flips out like thinks that this is just totally unacceptable runs over and just beats the tar out of this he calls it the squid kid or octo boy uh, and he says you need to listen to me now and listen good this scar here i did this myself to match someone i really respect so this is something that's been self-inflicted which i think is interesting uh, and he says that he did it because it's he says he did this to himself to give him a little extra character and to mark him as the successor of this person so I don't think we've been 100% introduced to who he is, like, worshipping, but we did see the poster of that one hero, so maybe it's him. I don't remember him having a scar on his face, though. You ready for my theory? Yeah, go for it. My theory is that O'Clock is, is Knuckle Duster. Oh, wow. Okay, I hadn't considered that, but Knuckle Duster doesn't have a quirk. Not that we're aware of or has been showcased, except for one time where I think that my theory has a little bit of credence. So first thing that gives my theory a little bit of credence is Knuckle Duster damn sure has a giant facial scar. He does. That's um, fair. And the second thing is, if you remember, there was a fight really early on with like one of those gigantic villains and Knuckle Duster got in close to it and was very quickly able to just dodge out of the way of that thing's blows where it got tired, where he could hurt it. Do you remember that? I do remember that, but I felt like that was around the same time he fought Aizawa, and Aizawa's erasure quirk didn't work against him. Well, because Aizawa specifically thought that his quirk was strength-based. See, I didn't, think I, was, I didn't think it mattered. Like I thought his quirk could take out anybody, so he didn't have to know what it was. Well, how would he know that he turned off? Or, or and it could, Well, how would Aizawa know that he had turned off a speed quirk well, okay, if, that's number fair. one, he wasn't using it, you know? That's true. Yeah, if he wasn't using it, then that's true. Man, I and guess so, it could so, be but... that somehow Knuckle Duster's quirk has been diminished or lost to him to a, a significant degree. But I when, I, when I read this scene and he started talking about that scar, I started connecting those dots. And I, I'm wild theory guessing that, I like that O'Clock is Knuckle Duster, that Knuckle Duster in his past life or earlier in this, of course, in this life, was O'Clock, and something has happened where he's not that person anymore. That's interesting. Wild yeah. guess. I like that. I like that. Well, this guy freaks out, and he doesn't like the fact that other scars could be put on his face, because then it, he says, this little crappy one next to my cool defining scar, then what's the point? Which I thought was very funny. It feels like such a very like vain, villainous thing to do, you know? 
Uh, but he he powers up and beats the living tar out of this poor villain. Like, I mean, he he does like I don't know, probably twenty punches. It looks like in this one panel, and then he taunts him and talks about how he's gonna like literally crush his skull in. And I I was gonna mention during these scenes to me when he powered up, it almost looked a lot like uh, Midoriya's full cowling to me. I was gonna say that one in this scene where he grabs the the creature by the throat, he is able to flex hard enough to like totally jack up his sleeves yeah uh, so i wonder i i wonder about that like did he in in the interim like off panel g- get that strength that he was kind of saying he needed to have when he was practicing on that punching bag like or what has he always been able to do this like do you realize how difficult it is just to flex and rip up a short a, a oh, sleeve yeah. off of you that isn't like skin tight yeah i mean i and that's where I was thinking maybe it's like a power-up thing. Maybe he took some trigger and we just didn't see it. I mean, this guy's in yeah. with the people that would be able to give him access to that. So Yeah, my other question, too, and you had mentioned that it looks like he punches him 20 times. I assume this isn't him doing his eight simultaneous punch equivalent because, I mean, as I was counting these things, there's like 10 or 11 punches that seem to be landing, but they must not be landing simultaneously. I don't think they are. It's hard to tell because he talks about how this is his limit, but we just heard two chapters ago that his limit is eight, but we visually see a lot more than eight here. I say that, though, because in the previous panel where it does show eight, there are specifically eight whams. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that makes me think that it's all at once compared to this panel where there's just showing a showcasing really quick punches. I don't necessarily think they're all at once or there it would. Maybe it would be, you know, 12 whams on the, on the panel. I, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking from, an, from the artistically drawn way that they've done this. It makes me think that that might be what's going on. But I could see the argument. I mean, you can't really tell. Yeah, but I will say this. You had mentioned that he threatens to stomp on his head. The way that he does it is kind of awesome. I mean, it's chilling because he says... 10, <laughs> it is really chilling. He says, 10 seconds from now, I'm going to accelerate again and stomp your head into pulp kind of like a jackhammer and i was like oh my gosh <laughs> that is rough yeah and so he starts and then he counting just starts down. Counting down yeah man oh, man it's dark <laughs> yeah i was like dope that was super well written um and delivered i mean this guy is chilling in this scene after that rock gets yeah. thrown man it's just like a f- switch gets flipped i mean it is nuts he is scary in these few panels after that rock um slices up open his like cheek but uh, just as he's getting to one uh, and preparing to jackhammer stomp this guy's head into oblivion, Koichi sticks his head around the corner and is trying to tell everybody to clear out of there as he sees that he's in close proximity to this thing that they have had a hard time incapacitating, but he very easily did. In fact, he had said something earlier where, uh, where he was kind of talking about how much Koichi and Aizawa and the Hoda brothers were struggling with him. He's like... Eraserhead and little Koichi and those small-time losers, if they had to struggle against this thing, they ain't all that. And then he proves how ain't all that they might be um, by just decking this thing and bringing it down in a single moment, twice actually, um, what what they had just spent to basically two chapters trying to incapacitate. That's true. I hadn't considered the fact that they had spent literally two chapters trying to do that, and this guy did it in two seconds. Yeah. I mean, he really he puts the beating down on this guy. Uh, and once Koichi comes around the corner and tells him to get out, like the guy just disappears. So he turns that quick, he turns that quick quirk on and gets out of there. Uh, and then we get this quick breakdown, uh, between Aizawa and the Hoda brothers and they're, they're discussing whether or not an octopus, uh, has bones or not. And I thought that was kind of funny. And then Sukoichi shows up and I couldn't really tell if this was like, later on the day where Sukoichi and Aizawa are like walking down some street talking about this event because they kind of go back and forth. Uh, but Sukoichi is actually kind of convinced that this villain, this quick villain could be Knuckle Duster. So that's kind of interesting that you think that he may be based off Knuckle Duster. Well, he thinks that the person that damaged the, the creature was Knuckle Duster. I don't know that they, well, that's what I mean. The yeah. Dots. Not the, not the villain itself, but the, the, other villain the <laughs> not the brutal villain that they've been fighting but the uh, quick quirk villain yeah yeah they because they were wondering aloud the panel right before we see sukauchi and aizawa talking like who could have done this and sukauchi is like it fits the mo of that knuckle duster guy like he possibly could have done that 
and I do think that this takes place a little bit later, like on in time, because Aizawa or Koichi bumps into Aizawa here in just a second, which is great. And we're going to talk about it. And he's not in his costume or anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Aizawa's not got his arms in a sling. So this could be a it could even be a significant amount of time later. But they're walking around. They're trying to talk about, you know, what 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 in the world happened? They can't quite piece it together. So Aizawa is saying still no info on the individual who assaulted the villain and fled the scene. And that's when Sukauchi is like, it could have been that knuckle duster guy who we, as the readers, know, like, number one, it wasn't him. Um, and two, we, this is this little panel where Sukauchi is thinking about him is the most we've seen of him in two volumes of this manga. The vigilante, as you're calling him for now, will let him roam um, free and keep an eye on. And they're talking about Koichi, who just happens to be right there when they're having this conversation. And he's like, Hey, eraser head. <laughs> like he's being chummy. Yeah. <laughs> and this is so great because Koichi's in his civilian garb. He's just like, guess you're always hard at work. And he asked Pop, do you mind if I go and talk to him for a second? We kind of became friends the other day. And the, like him saying that made me laugh so hard because Aizawa hears that. And there's this panel where it is like, he is living his worst nightmare <laughs> because this kid is just like, oh, yeah. we're besties now. <laughs> and so... <laughs> he turns to Koichi and he's just like, huh? And there's the word doom and it's all like dark and shadowy. And Koichi's just like, actually, he's kind of scary. And uh is like, is that somebody that you know? And Aizawa was just like, must have thought I was someone else. Like, he, he wants nothing to do it with that. Off. It's so great. Aizawa is my spirit animal, man. It is really funny. Uh, I mean, that scene was so funny. Koichi being like, yeah, we're, we're, we're best friends now. Um, and Aizawa just... That just absolutely being his nightmare was so funny and relatable to me. It is funny because Koichi, I don't think, knows a stranger. Like, he's so chummy with everybody, you know? And all it takes is one experience with him to pretty much make you his best friend. It doesn't seem like it takes And it's a great, too, that even though, you know, they, when he first encountered Aizawa fleeing from this villain, he expressed, like, that guy freaks me out. He, I'm scared of him to a degree. Uh, and, you know, he goes through this... Uh, experience with uh, alongside Aizawa and at the end of that he's still just like yeah dude that guy's still he's still creepy um I I, st I don't know where still I stand creepy. with him yeah. so I'm just gonna let him let him do his thing and I'll just keep my distance uh so that that was it was very well delivered I think especially with Aizawa's reaction I agree I agree and that was really the end to that chapter in that small little like side quest is what I'll call it of the story. We start 42 off with a completely brand new storyline and it's, I, I feel like it's confusing. Uh, I mean, it starts off with a bunch of people in a bar and two of them are disguised and there's not really a lot of information, but it's basically this band and Koichi and Koichi's their, their, their pal, their friend. And then along with them, they're on a date with a girl named Rin and Hina. And then there are two other characters named Kaori and Kazuha assume that's how you pronounce that uh but those two were actually pop and the r-rated hero uh midnight midnight thank you the r-rated hero midnight in disguise because i guess they're spying on hina and rin basically right like i got that right i feel like there's a lot of jumping in back yeah there. so this chapter is very confusedly presented um, so at the beginning of the chapter, we sit in on a meetup between four males and four females. The four males are Koichi and then three members of the Mad Hatter's band, minus the lead singer, because he didn't want to go out on these this mixer date thing and violate his love for the leader of the high school dance team, you know. Um, and there's a panel that kind of emphasizes that. But it turns out, like you're saying, that two of these girls aren't these collegiate, the Naruhata Women's College uh, students, they're Midnight and Pop. And so this chapter goes back and forth between the, the current scene, the present scene of the mixer date happening at this bar, and then all of the things that led to Midnight and Pop Step being at the bar and why and how they got there. And it's just, it goes back and forth and there's nothing that like shows... Ver like visually where it says like 20 minutes earlier and even if it did it would still be a clunky clunky way of delivering this particular manga they should have just done it completely linear chronologically and it would have made way more sense we wouldn't be complaining about it for two or three minutes <laughs> i totally agree and i will also mention i don't like the way that they've drawn midnight in this she looks just like mikado 
like in every panel I'm, I'm scrolling through this issue and it feels like every time midnight shows up she looks more and more like mikado just with a slightly different hairstyle but like when it's pulled back in some of these panels it just looks like mikado to me there's a couple of scenes where it's definitely midnight um to me but uh you know the the whole setup is koichi had to take that band member's place uh, because, like I said, the lead singer of the Mad Hatters didn't want to go and violate his relationship or infatuation with the, the leader of the dance team. So Koichi agrees to fill in. Pop is worried that he's he's going to get himself into trouble or do something stupid. So she's stalking him on their way to the bar, bumps into Midnight. Midnight explains that, like, you know, this mixer, she she asks this, she she's aware of this mixer happening, apparently, because she says this mixer wouldn't happen to involve a group from the local women's college because she's been suspicious of these mixers being a place where drugs are being dispensed. And so she's trying to infiltrate one of these things. And so she recruits Pop Step to kind of be her wing lady and has some of her cronies, the Midnight Boys, woo. I mean, I don't want to use the word abduct because it seemed volitional enough that they were kind and courteous enough to call Rin and, and Hina or whatever her name was and say that they were canceling, that they were going to do something else. And then uh, Midnight and Pop take their take their place. It's all very weird. <laughs> it is weird. And I'm not sure what the end game is here, but I did like the fact that they found out that the mixers are somehow involved with some trigger through the uh, the Hata brothers again. Uh, they're they're hanging out with Koichi and Sugoichi, and they're telling them about these college mixers. And I saw was like, "Yeah, that's not for me. I'm not doing this." <laughs> like, yeah, but I've got somebody. Great. I've got somebody, and so he puts Midnight on the job. I thought that was funny. Yeah, he totally pawned this off on Midnight. But Midnight is super into it. I mean, oh, she yeah. has of she is. not only like disguises on hand and is able to very quickly extract two of those uh, college students and replace them with her and pop. But she like has this notepad out and she's like, all right, you're going to talk to this person. I'm going to talk to this person. And she's like, got it all mapped out. She's not just winging it. Um, and she does have, she does have her suspicions, her end game. She thinks that the, the leader is this Ren person um, that she's going to be keeping a particular eye on. And he, she asks pop step to basically run interference on the, the quiet girl, Hina. Yeah, which is is kind of interesting because she's trying to make small talk with Hina, and Hina's this real. I mean, you say quiet. She's drawn quiet. She's drawn very uh, secluded. She's hunched over. Her hair covers her eyes. In fact, in most panels, she doesn't have a facial expression at all. And the ones that they do show, she just kind of has like a small nose and a very small smile. Uh, and at first, you think that she's just going to be, you know, like I said, quiet. Uh, but. After a bit of small talk, we kind of switch perspectives and we see this event happening from her perspective. And she's like really aggressive and really angry and really upset. Uh, she doesn't like the fact that these people are like flirting with her. Rin is what she keeps referring to her as. Like it's very possessive. Uh, and she gets kind of like freaked out. Or is it Rin that's getting freaked out? It's Rin. It's Rin. Rin. Is the That's angry what it one. is. Okay, so I totally misread this. Rin, so we we switch to Rin's perspective then, and she's the one that's totally freaking out. Yeah, because she's usually she's used to be in the life of the party, and she, and Midnight is totally yeah that's filling what that role is. and doing it like she's doing it a lot better than Rin ever has. So in her jealousy and rage, she's drinking like crazy, and she ends up getting drunk. And uh, she's she excuses herself to go barf, which I guess Koichi thinks that that's code for something because <laughs> um, he doesn't believe her until she actually vomits all over the place. I also thought too, before we uh, get to what takes place next, that Hina looks a, not, a lot like is drawn similarly to Hinata from Naruto. Similar kind of like the way that her hair frames her face with the very small, shy facial expressions. I wanted to squeeze that in before we got to the barf because the barf is literally the rest of this chapter. That's that fair. sounds gross. And it is. But it's also true, so we're going to talk about it. Yeah, I know you totally called me on this one. I I totally misread this last bit here. I thought this was from the perspective of Hina. Now I'm rereading it. It is from Rin, and after after she barfs is when I think we go into the perspective of of Hina, maybe just a bit. Uh, it's like that last panel, but it's funny because Koichi grabs a bunch of towels and is like cleaning up the barf and like not flirting really, but just trying to take care of Rin, like just being his normal chummy self, really. 
Yeah, he's being your friendly neighborhood, the crawler. I mean, right. that's that's exactly what he's embodying here. But this, it it's read by Hin or Hina as flirtatious, and this sets her off. Man, she dashes in. You finally see her eyeball, and it's just this one giant eye. Um, <laughs> I'm she, I'm sure she has two, but we only see the one uh, because her hair parts, and it's very oddly drawn. Maybe that's but she a runs quirk. over and grabs. Yeah, maybe she's just a cyclops. She's a cyclops, yeah. But her eye would be off centered if it was cyclops because it's definitely to the to the right of her nose. It totally matches the uh, envious thing, right? Like uh, the big green eyes. Mm. But she grabs. She's envious of some weird stuff. Well, um, she yeah. runs in, <laughs> grabs this vomit soaked towel, and rushes off with it. And Koichi's like, I guess she was gonna like go wash it or throw it away. And dear Lord, I wish that's what she was going to do with this towel, because it's not what she does with this towel. And what she does do with this towel is freaking gross. Yeah, it's weird. She's like runs into the bathroom with it and she's freaking out. She says, no, 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 no. Who do they think they are fussing over my Rin like that? Me, only me. I'm the one who cares for Rin, not them. And the whole time she's like huffing this throw up towel. I mean, <laughs> what? It's weird. And man. it says slurp. slurp. Yeah. Which is a... And the way that this is drawn, it looks like she has the towel in her mouth. Yeah. And there's like vomit on the sides of her cheeks. To I mean, correct me if I'm crazy, but it looks like she's ingesting this vomit off of this towel. It definitely does. Like she's slurping it up. It's it's gross. And she's especially jealous of Koichi because she says, looking at my Ren with those bedroom eyes, can't allow it. I won't. They won't get away with this. And she pulls out what looks like a crayon or something. Nah, dude, that's Trigger. Oh, is that Trigger? I thought it yeah. was just a big crayon. Nope. So I don't know why I thought that was a crayon. I figured she had some <laughs> sort of drawing quirk. She was going to like, you know, voodoo draw him dead or something. If you flip back, well, I know that you're like scrolling, but especially with uh, when the Hoda brothers use it, they're using injection vials that are very similar to what it looks like she's holding up right now. I mean, they look like almost like EpiPens and she's about, yeah, she's about to slam a a vial of trigger into her body and who the heck knows what's going to take place next. It's going to be be wild. Yeah. Yeah, We don't really know what her quirk is, but I can't imagine it's a normal one. Yeah, what a great way to end. Super gross. I mean, but it was, I was also like, oh, that's Trigger. And I honestly don't know what is going to happen when she takes it. But at least like you've got two vigilantes and a pro hero there. And who knows? Like, I have no idea. They're in a public place. It's definitely going to be a, a very large spectacle if if she does, if this is Trigger and she slams it. I think it's Trigger. I mean, I, I have a hard time thinking that it's like she just pulled out a big Sharpie and she's just going <laughs> to write something on the floor of the bathroom. So. Yeah. No, I think you're probably spot on, man. Well, I think that sums us up for those four chapters. Uh, I know we've got some casting to do. Who did you choose this week? We we decided to cast uh, Kendo, and we also decided on... Oh, Manoma. What's his name? Momo. Noma, the yes. Kendo's punching bag, Manoma. Yeah, I'm curious to hear who you've cast. These are two kind of like, not main characters, but they're not really side characters either. Like, we're familiar enough with them that you got a pretty good idea of their personality. Yeah, so for Kendo, I am going to cast Mary Mouser. Do you know who this is? No, I'm not familiar with that. So she, have you, have you heard of the Cobra Kai television show? Oh, that's who, yes, okay, I know, I love this uh, show. I yeah. don't like her character as much, but I do think she's a great actress. She's Sam LaRusso in that. I thought about possibly casting the girl who plays Tori, um, like her arch nemesis. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I thought that Mary fit Kendo's aesthetic a little bit better. Um, so Mary Mauser, and that. you know that show means that she's got some some good karate chops in her, and uh, Kendo tends to be a, a very martial arty when she uh, presents herself in a fight. So I thought that that seemed like a an easy place to go looking, and that's where I found Mary Mauser. I like that one, man. Uh, I went with Rose Leslie. Uh, you may know her from Game of Thrones. She's been in a handful of other things, but that's her most popular role. You know, you didn't watch Game of Thrones, did you? I didn't. I've read all the books, yeah. but I, I got into the very interesting conversation about around trying to find a pool of candidates for my Kendo cast. Because as I was talking with some folks about specifically what are some shows where women are engaged in combat 
and they do so frequently and with competence. And the only thing that I could come up with initially was Game of Game of Thrones, which I hadn't seen, so I wasn't really going to pull from that particular casting pool. Um, and then Power Rangers. Power Rangers oh, yeah. was the only Power other Rangers thing I could sure. think of. Um, until I remembered that this Cobra Kai thing had been going on. And so I went looking there, but how strange, like I could not think of another one that wasn't animated where, where women are engaged in like hand to hand combat of some kind. I thought that that was strange. Maybe I'm just totally unfamiliar with many, many franchises, which is totally possible. Well, like the Tomb Raider franchise, I would say Laura Croft is pretty often involved in hand to hand combat, but also, you know, like shootouts and whatnot so there's that uh but i would say she's she's also hand-to-hand well but for me though i'm looking for teenagers right because of my casting okay pools. that's fair that's fair and i mean i'm not gonna cast uh most of the actresses that have played laura croft like ever in anything so there's that <laughs> right uh, <laughs> but yeah you're right now that i think about it man that's weird i, I guess i hadn't maybe and maybe i'm just oblivious you know that's not exactly something that i would be looking out for but it is strange i can't think of anything off the top of my head yeah Interesting. Well, if you're listening to this and you can think of some, hit me up on Twitter because I'm curious. Not because I want to see teenage girls fighting. Like, don't read that into this. Um, it was just a... <laughs> it's, it's more about a representation thing. Yeah, like, it was I'm a cultural now. perspective and discussion. That's all it was. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So who, who do you got for uh, Monoma? For my Monoma, I cast Asa Butterfield. Um, oh, wow. I know what him. a name. Yeah, I know him primarily from Ender's Game, um, the movie that came out. It's a few years old now, um, but I think he would still pass as a teenager, and I really liked him in Ender's Game. I think that he would do well with Monoma. I wanted Monoma to be somebody who was very sharp-looking. You know, Monoma presents as almost like a snotty rich kid to me. Um, probably, I bet he is. I bet he is a totally a snotty rich kid, uh, and Asa Butterfield came to mind. I don't know what he's been in recently. To be honest, I'm sure he's been in some stuff. I mean, he his name is not unfamiliar to a lot of people, um, but I only recall him from Ender's Game. So I cast Asa Butterfield as my Monoma. I like that. It's really interesting to me, though, that you perceive him as like a uh, uh, rich, like snotty rich kid. Because to me, he's always been more of just like a total goofball. Like, I, maybe that's just, you know, reading into it, not enough. But uh, I, anyways, I, I decided to cast someone named uh, Michael Angarano. Uh, you may not know this guy. He's not really been in a whole lot of things, but he was in an old Disney movie named Sky High. Uh, he's in one of my favorite Kung Fu movies, The Forbidden Kingdom. You've and told I me think about I've, Sky High before. I haven't seen it. It's a it. fun superhero movie, man. I really enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's, it's another rehash story where it's a child whose parents are like the best heroes of all time. And he may or may not have a quirk, you know, or not a quirk, but in this case, a power. Uh, I mean, it's it's very fitting for this this podcast for sure. And I've gotcha. used the Forbidden Kingdom for other characters as well. That's that's a great movie. Uh, but he is the main character from that movie, so he's he's a great great actor. I could really see him playing that like super goofbally, no perception of his surroundings, Manoma. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking at the pictures of him from Sky High, and he does fit the Manoma aesthetic fairly well. So, and I'll have to yeah. check out this movie you're talking about. What's it called? Hidden Kingdom, Forbidden Kingdom. Forbidden Kingdom. It's Forbidden awesome. Kingdom. It's uh it it is got Jet Lee and Jackie Chan in it. Uh and so what? that's one of the first yeah, it's one of the first movies they were ever together in. So that's kind of cool. I think dope. it's actually the only movie they've ever been in. Uh but it and it also pulls a lot of uh Asian actors in that are really good. Uh and they're very famous over there, but this is the first time where we've had a kung fu movie like this where the two cultures have mixed in the last twenty ish years, I guess. Uh, but it, it's a great movie. I really, really enjoy it. I'd highly recommend it. Uh, wow. It's only fair that I watch that considering that right now you're at least halfway through a child's play movie marathon, probably at my yes. request or, or at my recommendation, at least. So we're in the middle of Seed of Chucky right now, which oh, I know you Lord. said not to watch, uh, but we, my wife wanted to get the full Chucky experience. So we're watching <laughs> them all. Uh, okay. And we're, we're almost done with this one. And it has been so dumb. Like, it's yeah. just... There's so many parts where I'm like, this is just so bad. It's so bad. It's terrible. Um, yeah. But the rest uh, of them are passable to excellent. So, well, I yeah. felt really bad because the first time I saw the kid, uh, his name's Glenn in the the movie, the the child puppet, uh, the seed of Chucky. My first thought was like, oh, that looks like one of my really good friends. If he decided to go goth, 
<laughs> I <laughs> won't let you not say a good that look person's for him. name on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Right. But regardless of all of that, I think that sums us up for uh, this week's episode. Who are we going to cast next time we get on? I mean, I know we're doing the movie. Do we want to wait until we're covering Vigilantes again? Yeah, let's wait. Because uh, I think okay. the movie is going to be, probably is going to end up being a longer episode for us. So let's let's sure. shelve it. And um, we'll just cover just the movie next week. Who knows? Maybe we'll find somebody in that movie uh, new for us to cast. Uh, oh, that'll be fun. You would yeah. know. I haven't seen it. I can't, I don't, I mean, I remember some... Uh, story beats. I think we've covered most of the people that are in there that we would want to cast. So like, I mean, Tokoyami's in there, but we hadn't really cast him, but it's going to be CGI mostly anyway, right? Um, we've cast yeah. Hawks. He shows up in that movie. We already cast Endeavor. We've cast most of the, most if not all of the people that are main players in that movie anyway, besides the villain. Okay, cool. Well, maybe we'll cast the villain. That would be fun. All right. Sounds like a plan, man. Well, you got uh, awesome. two weeks' time upon hearing this to uh, get your eyes and ears tuned to the new My Hero Academia movie so that you can enjoy our spoiler review and recap of that in AMP number 62. It was a blast. We hope you guys enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. See ya. Almighty Podcast is brought to you by the Back Patio Network. You can follow us on Twitter at AlmightyPod or follow at BackPatioNet for all network news. If you enjoyed what you heard, go check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Network. You can help support the network, get access to early episodes, and lots of other great stuff. If you want to get to know us, come hang out in our Discord channel. We have lots of fun and would love to have you in there. My name is Adam, and you can follow me on Twitter at TheRealSimso, S-I-M-S-O. 